God bless you. Please open your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 19. Numbers 19. So we want to hear Numbers. It's exciting. Uh, Tonight, Numbers 19 and 20, God willing, is our desire to work through those two two chapters. I'm going to uh, summarize much of chapter 19, but um, we'll go ahead and uh, at least... um, Let's just look at the first few verses here. Follow with me, chapter 19, and I'll read just a little bit, and then I'll kind of tell you what the Lord is instructing here. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect, and on which a yoke has never come. You shall give it to Eleazar the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, And it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eleazar the priest shall take some of its blood with with his finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. And then the heifer shall be burned in his sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood, its offal shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes He shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until evening. And the one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. So the Lord gives some instruction here on some laws of purification. The congregation would need to be purified in any case that they came in contact with death. If you happened to have to bury a loved one, someone passed away and you would have to bury them, then you would have to be purified because you've come in contact with a dead body, whether it was intentional or whether it was even accidental. If you were out in the battlefield and you came across a dead body, if you were to touch a, the bone of a man or if you came across a grave site, all of this would make you ceremonial unclean and separate you from the temple worship and fellowship within the congregation. So what the Lord is instituting here is the means by which the congregation can be purified in the case that they come in contact with a dead body. And this would be happening, obviously, uh, on and on through the life of a nation. So the ashes of this heifer, a a perfectly flawless red cow, would be slaughtered and burned, its ashes, uh, its blood, everything would be burned up along with some of these other elements that were mixed in. And then those ashes would be collected and they would be maintained outside the camp. And we, we won't take the time to read through, but you would take some of those ashes then and mix them in with clean water. And then that water mixed with the ashes of the red heifer would become the purifying water, and you would sprinkle it on those that were unclean because of having come into contact with death. So this was uh, the way that the Lord would give the children of Israel something of a practical way uh, to be purified. If you become ceremonially unclean, 
you don't have to go through the whole sacrificial offering uh, situation because this, the ashes of the red heifer are kind of already representing that sacrifice and just taking some of those ashes, mixing them with water, you could become ceremonial clean and come back into fellowship. Um, so God giving this, this ordinance, and this would be an ordinance that would stay with them uh, forever. And uh, it is interesting, um, we do see even today some uh, significance around this idea of the ashes of the red heifer. Um, there is, of course, in prophecy, uh, we know that is, in Israel there is going to be, we are expecting someday on the horizon, another temple to be established and the Levitical priesthood restored in Israel. Uh, the book of Revelation speaks, John sees in Revelation, a temple that is built. Um, also, uh, the Apostle Paul in Thessalonians, he talks about this, this man of perdition, a reference to the Antichrist. He says that he will set himself up in the temple of God and proclaiming to be as God. So there is no temple today in Jerusalem. There is a temple mount, a place where the temple should and could be built it's under quite a bit of, as you can imagine, political uh, pressure between the Muslim nation, the Jewish nation, the Christian nations, everybody there, all, the, all of them laying claim to this holy ground. And so there is no real ability for the nation of Israel to build a temple. But we do expect sometime in the near future, as prophecy is fulfilled, that there will be a rebuilding of a temple and a Levitical priesthood will be restored. We we, we believe the scripture indicates that. There's only been two temples. There was the temple that Solomon built, and uh, that was destroyed by Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And then when they rebuilt the temple, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back into Jerusalem, the temple was rebuilt, and then Herod uh, really expanded on that temple. So th that was the second temple. That was the temple that was around when Jesus uh, walked the streets of Jerusalem. That temple was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And there has not been a temple in Israel or in Jerusalem since. So it's referenced as the third temple. You may hear this in uh, end time teachings. You know, when, when's the third temple going to be built? Are they making preparations for the third temple? And this is some of the talk that you see. There's even a temple institute. There are some very religious Jews in Israel that are already preparing for that day when it comes. And one of the things that is needed for this thing to kind of kick off are the ashes of a red heifer. This is absolutely um, essential to properly purify the priests that were going to serve in the temple and, of course, to institute any kind of temple worship. So... Um, a lot of different things that you probably see over the years. Uh, you can Google this and find all kinds of crazy ideas. There are people looking for the original ashes of the red heifer. Uh, many years ago, I, uh, at church I attended, we had a gentleman who, who came and, and invited some of us to go on a trip to Israel with him. I didn't go, but he was going to look for the Ark of the Covenant and the ashes of the red heifer. These were the two things he felt the Lord uh, was leading him to look for. And he had, he had done some research with some scrolls and, and done some of his own interpretation on some scrolls. And, uh, you know, he was a very convincing uh, uh, gentleman, but uh, he never, to my knowledge, he never found either the Ark of the Covenant or the ashes of the red heifer. But it could be 
that the Lord will bring these things to the surface. They may be discovered in some archaeological dig there in the near future. I mean, the the Dead Sea Scrolls, these things that uh, have been there for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, and now they're unearthed, and they bring to light um, some of these these things. So it could be that, I mean, the Ark of the Covenant is somewhere, most likely, or and these ashes of the red heifer. Now, the alternative would be for Israel to raise up a new red heifer, and there's been some talk about that actually happening. Um, in fact, I even read uh, an article by Chuck Missler. Uh, this was written back in the late 90s, and he said that there was, um, uh, according to rabbinical sources, there hadn't been a flawless red heifer born in Israel since the destruction of the last temple, but now there was this new red heifer that had been found on one of the uh, one of the religious farms, and they were really hoping and promising that this would become maybe a viable candidate for uh, the ashes of the red heifer. I wasn't able to track down whatever happened to that uh, that red heifer, but uh, maybe maybe there is some already red, uh, uh, red heifers that would qualify uh, for this type of uh, religious use, but. Uh, that is one of the things that it, we see here in the book of Numbers. This is, this is the only place we find it, and yet it is a very critical piece to temple worship and cleansing. And so we would expect that, that God in the, in the last days, if, as God begins to allow these prophecies to unfold, we would expect to see something like this come back into practice. A reference for you in the book of Hebrews. What, what does some of this represent to us and the writer of Hebrews points out Jesus Christ as being our purification Hebrews 9 and verse 13 for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the writer of Hebrews sees all of these sacrifices as ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. The the red heifer was to be slaughtered and burnt outside the camp. His ashes were to be kept outside the camp. These were not brought into town. Jesus was crucified where? Outside the city walls, outside the camp. So there is something of a typology here pointing to Christ and his ultimate sacrifice. And the writer of Hebrews points this out. And just one thing out of that verse in Hebrews that I notice how he ends it, that, that the blood of Jesus would cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You see, the idea of this purifying water, even the priests, those that handled death, would have to be purified in order to be of service in the temple, to be of service to the Lord. And what the the writer of Hebrews is saying is that, listen, if, if the ashes of the heifer mixed with water and the blood of the animal sacrifices, if those things, which were merely just a shadow, just a foretaste of the, of the true and ultimate fulfillment, if, but if those things could cleanse men to serve God, how much more the blood of Christ cleanse you from a, de- from a conscience of dead works to serve the living God. I think that's a good, powerful point 
that the writer of Hebrews makes because often that's the, that's the struggle sometimes in our own heart. My conscience doesn't feel worthy to serve the living God. You know, I, there, there, maybe, maybe I'll make it to heaven. Maybe, he, maybe he'll forgive me. But, but to use my life to actually put me into service, you know, that I would be able to be useful in ministry. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, I got too much of a history. I've got baggage. No, no, I, I could never be worthy of that. And the truth is, you never will be worthy of that, except by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, what he has done on our behalf. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, those men of the Old Testament, they were just like you and I, sinners, people with issues, people with shortcomings, people with mistakes. If, if the, the shadow of Christ, if just the, the type of Christ could cleanse them and make them useful in, to, in serving the Lord, how much more the genuine. See, those things were to point, those things were just a foreshadowing of the real Ultimate sacrifice, which would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. His blood, once and for all, cleansing us from sin and cleansing our conscience. Giving us a heart that's free to serve the Lord. No, I'm not worthy in myself, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, I can serve the Lord. I can be used in ministry. I can pastor a church. I mean, just just that coming out of my mouth, uh, you know, 15 years ago, that would have been like crazy talk. But by the grace of God, and by the work of God in Christ, how much more? If those old things could cleanse, how much more does the blood of Christ provide this kind of freedom to us? What a blessing we have in Jesus Christ and a blessing of the, the old covenant and testament types that would point and lead us to Christ. Let's move on into chapter 20 and uh, take a look at... What's taking place here? Now, you'll remember just a little uh, refreshment on where we are. Uh, the nation of Israel delivered from Egypt. It takes them about two years. This is the Mount, Mount Sinai experience. God giving them the law, the Ten Commandments. The tabernacle is uh, built, the tent. Uh, and God training them in the law, now bringing them up to the edge of the promised land, Kadesh Barnea. And you remember them, they sent the spies in, uh, 12 spies, two came back, Joshua and Caleb, let's go, God's given us the land. But the other 10 gave a bad report, oh no, there's giants in the land, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And, uh, you know, and, they, and the people just became overwhelmed with fear and unbelief, and they refused to enter in to that land. And God said, very well, if you will not go, then you won't go. And you'll stay out here in this wilderness, and I'll raise up the next generation, those your children and those after you. They'll raise up in this, out in this wilderness, and then we will bring them into the land. So something of a judgment because of their refusal to go into the promised land. And what we've been reading here in these last few chapters is just some of those experiences during this wilderness wandering. The Korah's rebellion, some of the complaining that took place during those years. And now we come to chapter 20, and we are fast-forwarded now 40 years. This is now 40 years since they've come out of Egypt. We are now right back at God getting ready to bring them again into the promised land. The generation has passed off, 
And uh, we are now getting close to God fulfilling this bringing the people into the promised land. Um, We know that this is roughly um, 40 years since Egypt because uh, what's going to happen in this chapter. Miriam, Moses' sister, and Aaron are both both going to pass away in this chapter. We're going to read of their death. We, We know from Numbers 33, and I'll try and put it on the overhead for you, this is a, later on in Numbers, there is kind of a summary, a uh, couple of verses here, and it says this. Then Aaron the priest went up to Mount Hor at the command of the Lord and died there in the 40th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. On the first day of the fifth month, Aaron was 123 years old when he died on Mount Hor. So... That's a summary in Numbers 33 describing what we're going to read in more detail here in chapter 20. So that just gives you an idea of where we are in the timeline. Forty years have gone by now since Egypt. Uh, Thirty-eight since their first opportunity to go into the promised land. Now that old generation has died off. And here we are in chapter 20. Let's take a look at these verses now together. Look with me, verses 1 through 13. The children of Israel... The whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Here we go again, right? And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us up? the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we and our animals should die here. Boy, they haven't, uh, like father, like son, right? They haven't fallen too far from the tree. Verse 5. And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and they fell on their faces. Here they are again, interceding. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Verse 7, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Now listen to what the Lord says. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and and their animals drank. And then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, which the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. This is the place where Moses finally kind of loses his temper with this people out of frustration. Who can blame him, really? 
<laughs> now, you know, Moses has been now 40 years out in this wilderness with this next generation growing up. They're coming back now to this edge of the promised land. And what does he discover? He's hearing some of the same kind of complaints and things that were going on in their father's generation. And he's thinking, oh, no, here we go again. You know, I, we, are we going to do this all over again? We're never going to get into this promised land. And so Moses, no doubt, is beginning to feel these things. And uh, the people, you know, what, they're contending. How negative people get when circumstances don't please them. I mean, think about this. Now, they've been out there 40 years. We know from other passages that during this time, the Lord was taking care of them miraculously. Manna was coming from heaven every day. They were being led by a fire and a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. So God's presence is ever before them, leading them in this wilderness journey, providing manna from heaven miraculously every day. Bible says that their clothes never wore out for 40 years. Their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. God gave supernatural provision for this people during this whole 40-year experience. I mean, they're, they're living under the grace and mercy and hand of God's blessing. For 40 years, they see his faithfulness. They see his miraculous power working in their midst. They come to the place where there's not enough water. Why have you brought us out here? And immediately they turn on Moses. I mean, you can understand the, the, where Moses would have, been, would have been coming from. And we see something in the, the heart of this people. And I think it's something we need to caution our own hearts as well. You know, how negative we can get, even in the face sometimes of God's faithfulness, God's goodness to us. God's been caring for our lives. God's been blessing. How many of you have testimonies of God working on your behalf, bringing, bringing you through impossible situations, having faithfully brought your life time and time again into his goodness, his blessing. How many times has God forgiven you and loved you and restored you and rescued you? And yet, we come into a circumstance, a trial that we don't like, and immediately we're negative, we're complaining, oh God, why, you know, and we're blaming others. Why are you doing this? Why is, you know, and here, here's the heart of man. So quickly to contend, so quickly to forget the blessings of God. Don't take for granted, church. Don't take for granted the blessings of God in your life. Don't take for granted the presence of God in your life. They had a cloud. They had a pillar of fire. We have the very presence of His Spirit in our heart testifying within us that we are his children, rising up from our own hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That sense, that knowing that he is in my heart, that touch of God in my life that's real and personal. How can I imagine that somehow he would abandon me or lead me into a place of despair without hope, without a plan, without his, his grace guiding me and being with me? Don't take for granted his presence. Don't take for granted his blessings in your life, lest you become contentious in spirit as these children were. Something else that's worth noting is that this contention is all kind of rising up again at the border. And this is the way it seems to work, spiritual warfare sometimes. 
things seems to, just, just before God is getting ready to kind of move you into something, here comes this resistance. Here comes this warfare. I found this true even in my own life. Some of the, the greatest battles I've had spiritually, some of the greatest turmoil in my life, difficult trials seem to be just before God opens up a new uh, kind of window of blessing or ministry or opportunity. And it's not coincidence. I mean, I, I think that spiritual forces of darkness that we war against are somewhat in tune. I don't think they know the future. I don't think they know everything. But I, I think they get a gist when God is getting ready to work. And certainly in this case, God's praga, it was quite obvious what God was doing. He was getting ready to bring his people into this promised land. And all of a sudden, turmoil, contention, strife, warfare, resistance... Progress in the Lord is going to be resisted in your life. And sometimes the greatest warfare, the, 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 the most heated battles are at the border. That's when you, and that's when you want, and that sometimes we give up. It's too hard. And just on the other side is the blessing. Just on the other side is what God is ultimately wanting to bring you in to. Don't, when the battle is raging, something in your heart, okay, God must have something good beyond this. I must be at a border. I need to be faithful. I need to pray. I need to, I need, I need to wrestle in prayer. I need to put on the armor. I need to allow God to bring me through this in faith because it is often at the borders of God's blessings that we find spiritual resistance and warfare. And I think this is true not only in my life. I think many of you would could testify of that as well. Don't give up. The battle rages. Don't give up. Yeah, but it's getting harder. That's the time not to give up. That means you're getting closer oftentimes to what God wants to do for good in your life. Well, this is what's going on in the heart of the people. This is the kind of contention that's taking place, the spiritual warfare. And Moses gets caught up in it. Moses gets frustrated with this people. We saw what God told him to do. He said, you know, it, it doesn't seem that, that God is really upset with the congregation. Moses and Aaron seem to be more frustrated at this place than the Lord is. The Lord is saying, listen, just go out to the congregation, gather them, speak to the rock, and I'm going to provide water. But that, that's not what, exactly what Moses does. He takes the rod, as God ex, explained, now, that was Aaron's rod. Remember the one that budded and had almonds on it? Take that with you and go to the rock and speak to the rock and it will produce water. But in verse 10, we see that Moses, is his own frustration, he comes out and he says, Here now, you rebels. Now, God didn't tell him to go out and rebuke the rebels. God didn't say go out there and call them a name. Go out there and judge them, condemn them, tell them what losers they are. You losers, am I going to have to get water from the rock for you again? Notice what he says, must we bring water from the rock? Moses had no power to bring water from the rock. Moses is uptight, he's upset, he is frustrated. He's mad at the people and he's, he's, he's judging them in his words and he's kind of imagining that somehow he has now been asked to deliver them again. i got to provide for this rebellious people again. But these were God's people. Moses was simply a messenger. Moses had no place at this time to be upset, nor should he uh, have imagined that he was actually bringing water from the rock. And it says that he struck the rock with the rod, not just once, 
but twice. And in so doing, he misrepresents the type and imagery that God is trying to communicate of himself to this people. And that's when Moses crossed the line. He misrepresents God. He's he's there to be a messenger for the Lord, and instead he misrepresents the Lord. You'll remember this verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Paul, speaking of this rock in the wilderness, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. You see, this rock was to represent a picture of what God would ultimately be doing in Jesus Christ. This is not the first time water has come from the rock. Remember when they first came over the Red Sea? They came to a place without water, and God told Moses, strike the rock, and water will flow. And he struck the rock, and the water came. The second time that Moses is instructed to go to the rock, God says, now, don't strike the rock, speak to the rock, and water will flow. You see a picture of Christ here. Christ was smitten at the cross. How many times does Jesus need to be crucified to produce the blessing of salvation. The Bible says once and for all. He never again has to die on that cross. Once and for all, Christ was smitten on our behalf for our sin, and from Him came living water. And now, as we approach Christ, does Christ have to go and be re-crucified every time somebody gets saved? No. We merely speak His name. We merely speak to the rock. We call upon the name of the Lord, and we shall be saved. God is trying to present a picture here, and Moses interferes with something very sacred here. And to whom much is given, much is required. Moses was to be a responsible leader, and he got angry, he got frustrated, and instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes it not only once but twice. And this is his action that he he does in a moment of anger. Let that be a word of caution to all of us. James 1 and verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Moses, in a moment of anger, spoke inappropriately to God's people, said things that he told him that he did not tell them to say and then misrepresented him before his people. And this is why God said in verse 12, you didn't believe me. You see, belief and obedience often go together. Oh, I believe, I believe the word, I believe the word. If you believe the word, then it will manifest in a life of obedience to the word. That's how we know that there's something true in your heart in terms of faith and, and, and belief is by the actions that it produces in your life. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean that we don't stumble. But it does mean that God begins to transform us and a life, our, our lifestyle begins to follow our life's profession of faith. So God says you didn't. He speaks not only to, to Moses, but to Aaron also. Apparently Aaron, in, in some way, was in full uh, step with Moses on this. They led this kind of misrepresentation together. And he says you didn't. Believe me. 
And for that reason, you didn't hallow me. You did not present me holy before this people. You misrepresented me. You did not sanctify me. You did not reveal my the, the, the plan of Christ in before this people. My holiness has been uh, affected. You shall not bring this assembly into the land. Seems like a pretty harsh judgment or discipline on Moses. His whole life has been lived to bring this people into this land. But in this, in this moment of his misrepresenting God's holiness before his people, he is disciplined and is not going to bring this people into the land, neither him nor Aaron. How important is our witness? How important is how we represent Christ? Moses was called to represent the Lord to a congregation of people. How important is our witness before the generation that God has placed us in to represent Christ? Paul said, we're ambassadors of Christ. Our witness, our light, it needs to be a a representation of who God is. And his heart for mercy, his heart. God wanted to show compassion on this people. God wanted to demonstrate his grace upon this people. That, that by speaking to this rock, he would provide to them. That God wanted to bless and help and, and heal their need. But Moses did it in anger and he misrepresented the Lord. Well, Joshua would ultimately bring this people into the land. There is some picture here as well for us and God uses these things to actually ultimately glorify him. Moses and the law could not bring what Joshua, Joshua meaning another name for Jesus, salvation. So a picture here, the law cannot ultimately bring us into the promised land of relationship with God, but Jesus, salvation would ultimately be necessary. And we see that even here in this picture, but... As we move on, we're also going to see some additional resistance that comes to the people. Pick it up with me now in verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. So just, you see Moses continues to go forward. Moses doesn't quit. Moses is disciplined. Moses doesn't quit here. He keeps serving the Lord. This would not be the end of Moses' relationship with God. This would not be the end of Moses' ultimate eternity with God. Moses would get into this promised land. You know, you know when? The mountain of transfiguration. He would be there with Jesus in the promised land. So Moses is, this is not a matter of Moses losing his relationship, but this is definitely a circumstance that's coming into his life because of his high responsibility and his misrepresentation of God. But he continues on in the Lord, picking up now, this is uh, what he sends to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, I'm uh, I'm sorry, where did I? Yeah, in verse 14. Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt And we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. 
We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. Moses is looking for a shortcut. They need to go through this land of of Edom. Edom, this is a nation that are the descendants of Esau. That's why Moses said, We are your brother. Remember Jacob and Esau. Jacob gave birth to Israel, who became Israel, gave birth to the 12 tribes. But Esau was Jacob's brother. So this is brothers and cousins of Israel. Moses said, listen, we need, you, we need to just pass by your land. We're not going to, you know, remember now, there's a few million people now in this group. You can't just go walking through three million of you. You know, you can trounce on some fields and, you know, pillage their, their village and so forth. So, no, we don't mean any harm. We're going to stay on the highway. We just need to pass through. But Edom says no. And you'll remember Esau. He was a man of the flesh. He was a man that really, remember, remember he sold his birthright for a bowl of pottage. He was a man interested in, in carnal things, not spiritual things. And so, again, we see uh, this resistance God's people wanting to move forward, God's spiritual promises before them, and yet now here comes the men and women of the flesh to resist. And uh, the flesh will always resist the work of the Spirit. The flesh will always fight against the work of the Spirit, whether it be even in our own internal struggle to walk and serve the Lord or those that are of the flesh. They will not be as receptive to you going on in God, you going on in the Lord. There will be always battles with the flesh. Well, so they're not able to go through. They have to uh, kind of detour around this this land. There's no battle that goes on here, but later we'll find out, not in numbers, but there are uh, some of the prophets mentioned. God keeps track of this. God remembers this little incident when Edom was uh, unhelpful. And he'll call that to account in their nation later. But let's move on here. Verse 22 through 29. We'll finish up the chapter here tonight and close. We see now that it's time for Aaron to be gathered to his fathers. Verse 22. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the waters of Meribah. Meribah means contention, contentious waters. Verse 25. Take Aaron and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son, for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did, just as the Lord commanded, and they went up up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. 
Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. When all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. No inheritance, no, no taking the people into the land for Aaron. Aaron, again, must have been in some way part of this misrepresentation of God to the people. This passing of his garments is a passing of the ministry. Aaron was the high priest. Eleazar, now remember Aaron's 120-something years old. Eleazar, he might have been in his 80s as well, but he would now become the high priest. The garments would be taken from Aaron and passed on to his son. It is uh, kind of a a sad moment here for uh, Aaron and Moses. They've come all this way. Think of the stories they've had between them. Think of this journey that they've been making together, their brothers. And uh, think of this, you know, go up to the mountain because only one of you is coming down. And uh, so they go up knowing this is it, this is the end, and probably reflecting on, you know, think of the stories they were talking about on the way up. And they were there for the parting of the Red Sea. They were there for, uh, you know... the pillar of fire touching the mountain and the giving of the commandments. I wonder what Aaron said to him, you know, as they were walking up. I wonder if uh, Aaron said, by the way, Moses, remember I told you that golden calf jumped out of the fire. That's not really the way it happened, you know. (laughs) Maybe he got his heart clean on a few things. But it is something, uh, I don't know, it's, it's something to reflect on in the sense that, you know, this is the end of Aaron's life and ministry. And it's something that all of us will ultimately come to. Now, Aaron lived a fruitful life in ministry. He was the first high priest. He was used mightily of God. Now, at the end, he did not get to go into the promised land with the children of Israel. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But don't let that overshadow the blessing of Aaron's life and his ministry. The help that he was to Moses. He made some mistakes. He fell short on a number of occasions, but God used him in a beautiful way in his life. The testimony of his life is that he was this wonderful, useful servant of God. And I, I, you know, I don't want to go 122 years. I I don't want to get there that far. We probably won't, but I certainly want to live a life that's fruitful in ministry and serving the Lord. And uh, so I think it was something of a blessing that they got to, to journey up this mountain together. And Aaron had his son with him, knowing that the ministry was going to be continued on, that his son would actually walk and serve in the ministry behind him. That had to be a blessing to him as a father. And he had the opportunity to just kind of prepare his heart as the Lord gave him these, these last instructions. And the truth is we're all serving the Lord in some fashion or way, God has given to us this window of time to serve him. It wasn't Aaron's ultimate ministry to bring the people into the promised land. Aaron's ministry was to bring them out of Egypt and get them to the border of the promised land. God would then hand that ministry over to Joshua, Eleazar, his, his son for the priesthood. And this is the way the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God moves on even from generation to generation. And so there is this understanding that I'm serving in an eternal work 
Some of it, I, I, get a, I get the blessing to do and be a partner of it for a short span of time, but the work has existed long before I have arrived, and it will exist, God tarrying, long when we are gone. What's important is to be faithful with this window that we have. And I think that that speaks out of this passage because, there, you know, yes, God says, listen, you're not going to go in, but it, it, it's, it's not like God is rebuking him or this is not some punishment. This is just the end of his ministry and time for him to be gathered to his fathers. Remember what God had said, and we looked at this last week. You don't, I'll put it for you on the overhead. Remember this passage out of Numbers 18 and verse 20. Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, nor shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. You remember when God was instructing on the Levites and and the priesthood back in Numbers 18, setting up their provision that the people were to bring tithe to the Levites and that would be tithed on to the priests, Aaron's family. And God is saying, listen, I have, I'm going to be taking care of you, but you're not going to actually possess the land as the other tribes are going to. That's not going to be your portion. That's not going to be your inheritance. It's not going to be a physical land. It's going to be me and your service and relationship with me. So in one sense, Aaron is not going into that promised land, but he, he can remember what the Lord spoke to him in Numbers 18. Don't worry so much about the land. I'm your portion. I'm your inheritance. Almost as if to say, you know, don't be caught up too much with what happens in this life. This life, this land, these things. This is not your possession. This is not your inheritance. I'm your portion. Walk with me. Just walk in relationship with me. That will be your blessing. Maybe you won't come into the, to all of the material things that some come into. Maybe you won't have the, the career opportunities that, that you know, some might have had or some you know, will have. Maybe you will, but, the, but don't do any of it apart from that portion of having God in your life. The Lord is the reward for Aaron, and I believe that would have comforted him even in this moment where his ministry is coming to an end. And this is what we see in the Scriptures that oftentimes the service of individuals walking in faith, they don't come into the full promises that God is ultimately planning. Just a couple verses in closing. Actually, turn with me. I don't think I had time to put these on the overhead. Turn with me to Numbers 11, and we'll close there tonight. I guess I want you to think about eternity. I want you to think about your service on earth, just as Aaron, a long, faithful service. But it comes to an end, but it doesn't end in its relationship to the eternal kingdom and plan of God. Hebrews 11, this is the the heroes of faith, and just look up at verse 13 with me. Hebrews 11, 13. These all died in faith, what? Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. 
For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Look again, Hebrews 11, look, look forward to verse 39. Hebrews eleven thirty-nine, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The writer of Hebrews is pointing out that, listen, a lifetime of faith doesn't mean that every promise that God has given will come in this life. Abraham was promised the promised land. Abraham never saw the fulfillment of that promise. Any more than Aaron is going to see some of the fulfillment of that promise. But he dies in faith, knowing that he served as a part of that plan and a part of that fulfillment, a part of the kingdom work that God was doing in his generation. And he served his generation faithfully. And that's what's asked of all of us to serve our generation faithfully in the Lord. Because we're just somewhere on this eternal plan. Jesus is coming. You know, He may come in our lifetime. I hope He does. I'm kind of getting ready for that. And He might, and it's looking like like He might. But I don't know that He will. I don't know if, if in my lifetime I'll see the return of Christ. I may, but I may not. So... In one sense, there's a part of my ultimate hope that will remain unfulfilled. But I can be faithful during my time to ready others for Jesus, to prepare other hearts to look for Jesus, to pass it on to the next generation, that we would be faithful and be salt and light in our time. So I encourage you with those thoughts. Aaron's time has come to a close. All of our time will ultimately come to a close. Let's be faithful with the time that the Lord has given us, and let's walk in faith and relationship with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for these passages in the book of Numbers, Lord. A number of important things stand out to us tonight, Lord, and I pray that Your Word will meet our hearts tonight. God, I think the central theme of it all is just really learning to walk by faith and trust in a God who is working in an eternal plan in and through our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would help us as your people to be faithful in our journey. We're just pilgrims, Lord. We're just kind of wandering some. We live in a time, Lord, where Jesus Christ has established an eternal work of salvation in our hearts. And we have the joy and the blessing of living under that favor, under that privilege. I pray that we would never take it for granted, that we would never lose sight of that, Lord, that we would be thankful for your goodness to us, and that we would be found faithful as stewards, as witnesses for you, representing you to our families, our workplace, our our generation. And Lord, that we would remain faithful till the end, that we would be gathered to you in our time with a sense of having fulfilled all those things that you've called us to. 
Help us, Lord, to keep eternity and that perspective in our hearts even tonight. And as we close here tonight, our heads remain bowed in prayer. I do want to give opportunity for anyone who may need to respond to the Lord tonight. It may be that the Lord is speaking to you about your own eternal destiny. And I simply say this to you tonight, if if you have not received the cleansing and the purification that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ offered for you at the cross, if you have not put your faith in that work of Jesus, then you are still in your sins and separated from the Lord. And it may be that God is speaking that very thing to you tonight and you're ready to come and have Him forgive you and cleanse you. Just as those waters would purify the children of the Old Testament, so the blood of Jesus purifies and cleanses us today in an instant, in a moment. He's been crucified once and for all and now we merely speak His name and call upon Him in faith and He will forgive and He will cleanse and you will be saved. I'd love to pray for you tonight if that's your heart and you need that prayer. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord, recommit your life to Him, rededicate yourself to Him. I'd love to pray for you too. If you're distant from God and He's speaking to you and you want to bring your heart back home to Him, I'd love to pray. So if you're here tonight and you need the Lord Jesus in your life for the very first time or you need to rededicate and recommit your heart to Him, Would you raise your hand so that I can see you and I'll pray for you tonight. Anybody here tonight? God is speaking to you. You need this prayer. Raise your hand so I can see you and I'll pray. Bless you, sir. From my left. Anyone else? Lord speaking to you tonight. He loves you. Wants to bless If you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Him or your relationship has become really so cold and non-existent that you need to come back to Him, let's pray. Anyone else here tonight just before I pray? And so God, I thank You for ministering to this heart tonight and I pray, Lord, that You would meet them in this moment. Lord, they respond not to me but to You and Your Spirit speaking to their heart by Your Word. And so tonight, Lord, I would pray for this this heart and I would ask You to forgive them and cleanse them as they confess and acknowledge their their need of saving, their, their, their shortcomings, their sins, their separation from You. And not because of any works of their own strength, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because you loved us so. Forgive them, cleanse them as they put their trust in you tonight. And fill this individual with your spirit, God. And confirm and establish this good work that you're doing in their life. And may there bear fruit, Lord. Evidence of a changed and transformed heart. Made alive by Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.